You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Boutan on the Calvary Brighton Podcast. Now, as we look at chapter 26, the title of our message this morning is Forgiveness on Repeat. Forgiveness on Repeat. I mean, let me ask you, how many of you have like a, like a repeat offender in your life? You know, somebody who, you know, the, the same person who keeps hurting you over and over again. Or, you know, the same person who keeps lying to you again and again and again. I mean, you know, how many of you are tired of having to forgive the same person time after time after time? You know, you start thing, saying things like, you know what? They have tested the limits of my patience. Or, you know, you, you say, you know what? They are standing on my last nerve. It's kind of like that cartoon I've, I've shared you, with you before, Foghorn, Leghorn, uh, where he says, boy, I say, boy, uh, you're about to exceed the limitations of my medication. <laughs> well, then you can probably relate with David here in chapter 26 this morning. Because in chapter 26, David finds himself again in the same position of having to forgive the same person, having to forgive his enemy, having to forgive King Saul. It is literally forgiveness on repeat. So now as we pick it up in chapter 26, the first five verses open with a repeat offense. A repeat offense. Verse, verse 1. <clears throat> then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gebeah saying, is not, David, is not David hiding himself on the hill of Hakaliah, which is east of Yeshimon? So Saul arose and he went down to the wilderness of Ziph with 3,000 chosen men of Israel to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul encamped on the hill of Hakaliah, which is beside the road east of Yeshimon. But David remained in the wilderness. And when he saw that Saul had come after him into the wilderness, David sent out spies and, and learned that Saul had indeed come. Then David arose and, and, and he came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay with Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army. And Saul was, was, was lying within the encampment with the army encamped around him. Now, by the way, I should point out that, that one of the things that we're going to see in this chapter this morning is that, is that the events in this chapter sound very familiar. It's almost like we've read them before. And so with that in mind, it's, it's almost as if David is having a case of deja vu. It's kind of like that movie 50 First Dates or, or the movie Groundhog Day. This is kind of like Groundhog Day Forgiveness Edition. It's, it, it's like it's happening all over. In fact, really, in many ways, it's very similar to chapter 24. Remember, chapter 24, in many ways, we, we, we thought things already got dealt with. Things had, had been resolved. Everything had been worked out. Now, if you remember back in chapter 24, we saw that, that David and his men were hiding in the cave of Adullam. And as they were hiding, all of a sudden, Saul comes into the same cave where David's hiding. And Saul goes in there to go to the bathroom. You know, kind of a crappy hideout, if you would. But anyway, uh, so he comes in there to go to the bathroom, and, 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 and now David has his chance to get some payback, to get some revenge. And yet instead of getting revenge, he spares Saul. Instead of, instead of giving Saul what he deserved, instead David gave Saul mercy. And now the same thing is about to happen in this chapter. Once again, David is, is in a position to give Saul forgiveness, to give Saul mercy. Kind of reminds us of what Jesus had taught in Luke 7, 47, where, where we see that, that those who have been forgiven much love much. By the way, do, do you know how you can tell that a person has received a lot of mercy? The way you can tell a person's received a lot of mercy is by how much mercy they themselves give how much mercy they give to others. 
And so in this chapter, David is once again giving mercy to David. But now in these opening five verses, we see that that not only is Saul out to get David, but so is this group of people called the Ziphites. Now we've read about them before. This is now the second time we've encountered them. In fact, when we first encountered them, it was back in chapter 24. And in chapter 24, you remember, the Ziphites were the ones who, who betrayed David. They were the ones who narked out David and told Saul where, where, where David was. And now in chapter 26, they're narking David out again. They're ratting him out again. In fact, I looked up the word Ziphites in the Hebrew. It literally means snitches get stitches. Okay, I made that up, but, the, but, but they're narking him out again. And so they, they've betrayed David a second time. Listen, in the same way, I'm, I'm sure that some of you have people in your life who, who, who have betrayed you more than once. They've betrayed you over and over. You know, maybe it's a coworker who, who keeps lying about you. Or maybe it's a, a, a neighbor who, who like, like, they just have it out for you. They're always messing with you. Maybe they're calling HOA on you all the time. You know, or it's this person, or it's that person, or it's this person. But the same person over and over and over again. You know, but then you get to a point where, you know, you think you've worked it out. You think you've resolved things. In fact, every time you bump into, in, into them in Walmart, they're, 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 they're treating you like, like you're the best of friends. And then all of a sudden, they do it again. They betray you again. In fact, maybe the person that's betrayed you is your spouse. Maybe they cheated on you. You know, maybe, maybe you accidentally discover a voicemail or, or an email or a text message or, or a DM or, or a hotel bill. Or maybe they just have a guilty conscience and they come and they confess it to you. But, but you know, in that moment, you decide that you're going to forgive them. You decide that you're going to work it out. You decide that you're going to do what it takes to try to make this thing work. You, you, you get some counseling. You work on things. Some time goes by. And after a while, you, you, know, you, you start to feel like the wound has finally been healed. And then all of a sudden, you catch them in the act again. They've betrayed you again. You see, that's the emotional context that David is dealing with. He's, he's been betrayed again. He's been attacked again. He's been wronged again. You know, we have the saying, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Or, you know, you might say, you know what, once burned, twice shy. So, you know, none of us would, 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 would blame David for being a, a little, little untrusting right now. None of us would blame David for being a little skeptical, let alone would we blame David for being bitter and angry. But, but, but the amazing thing is, is, as we read this passage, as the rest of this chapter unfolds, we see that David is not bitter. David is not angry. In fact, David demonstrates why the Bible often calls him a man after the heart of God. Because instead of being bitter, instead of being angry, he gives mercy. He gives forgiveness. So now as we pick it up in verse 6, verses 6 through 12, we see that, that, that giving them to God is better than getting even with them. So in chapter 26, verse 6 continues. It says, Then David said to Ahimelech the Hittite, and to Joab's brother Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, who, who, who will go down with me to the camp of Saul? And Abishai said, I'll go down with you. So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and, and there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment with his spear stuck in the ground at his head. And Abner and, and, and the army lay around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear. I will not strike him twice. And David said to Abishai, 
Do not destroy him, for who can put his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down in battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put my hand against the Lord's anointed, but take now the spear that's at his head and the jar of water and let us go. So David took the spear and the jar of water and, uh, from Saul's head, and they went away. No man saw it nor knew it, nor did any awake, for they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. So now we kind of picture this whole scene in our mind. You know, David, he, 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 he pulls aside two of his most trusted men, and he's like, hey, which one of you wants to go down with me to, to the enemy's camp, down to Saul's camp? And so Abishai says, I'll go. Now what's interesting is, is that According to 1 Chronicles chapter 2, verse 16, 1 Chronicles chapter 2, verse 16, Abishai was actually the son of David's sister. Her name was Zariah. She's mentioned here in this passage. And so he's the son of David's sister, meaning that, that this is David's nephew. So David's nephew is like, you know, Uncle David, I'll go with you. And so now they sneak into the camp and they get there and, and everybody's asleep and they're kind of all circled around Saul to keep him safe. And then there's that spear, Saul's spear, stuck in the ground by Saul's head. Listen, this is that same spear that time after time again, Saul threw at David. And of course he missed and it always stuck into the wall. But this is that same spear. As my friend Gino Geraci puts it, this is the same spear Saul had used to play, pin the psalmist to the wall with. And so you know in that moment that there, there must have been some flashbacks in David's mind. There had to be some, some images replaying over and over again. And so this is that moment where he could take that very spear and put an end to everything. Put Saul out of his misery. And it's in that moment that, that David's nephew, he's like, he's like Uncle, uh, Uncle David, listen. Look, if, if you're not going to take matters into your own hands, then I will. Let me at him. Just give me one shot. I mean, listen, this, this is the moment you've been waiting for. You, you finally have your enemy right where you want him. You, 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 God's delivered him into your hands. If you don't want to put him out of his misery, let me do it. I just need one shot. You know, and sometimes, you know, we, we, we have people like this in our lives. You know, we have people who, you know, they're well-meaning. They, 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 they think they have our best interest in mind. You know, and they often say things like, hey, listen, you know, God doesn't want you to be walked all over by this guy. God doesn't want you to be used and abused. God doesn't want you to be treated like this. You need to draw a line. You need to stand up for yourself. You need to kick them to the curb. That's what you need to do. You know, they say things like, hey, listen, how long are you going to take their stuff? How long are you going to put up with this? How long are you going to let them keep doing this? As long as you keep letting them do it, they're going to keep doing it. So you need to show them who's boss. So it's almost as if David was saying, you know what? I am showing them who's boss. I'm showing them that he's the boss, not me. He's he, he saying, you know what? I'm going to put them in God's hands, not my hands. Now, let me pause here for just a moment. Let me just say that, that you know, by, by way of disclaimer, that if you happen to be in a physically abusive relationship, then let me say to you that, that this is not saying that, that you should stay in that physically abusive relationship. On the contrary, listen, if you are in a physically abusive relationship, do not stay in that relationship. Get out, find help, get safe. Your safety is paramount. 
Now, having said that, however, for the rest of us who are not in in a physically abusive relationship, here's what this is saying. This does not mean that just because everyone in your life is saying things like, hey, this is your chance to get even. This is your chance to get some payback. This is your chance to make them pay for what they've done to you. Just because they're saying this is your chance to make them pay, that doesn't mean that you need to take your chance. Just because they're saying that this is your chance to get even doesn't mean you have to get even. Because David's reminding us, David's showing us by his example that they are God's to deal with, not ours. He's the boss, we're not. Romans 12, 19 reminds us, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. You know, there's a saying that says, it says, you'll never get ahead of someone if you're always trying to get even with them. And so sometimes we have these well-meaning, but, but frankly wrong people. They're, they mean well, but, but, but they offer advice like, hey, listen, strike first. Don't let them do that to you. You know, don't let them take advantage of you. You know, if, if someone's ripped you off, if someone's hurt, hurt you, then you know what? Sue them, take them to court, take them for all that you can. If your spouse is filing for divorce, then you know what? Take them to the cleaners. It reminds me of, a, of an author named Joseph Warren Niskern. Now, years back, uh, Niskern wrote a book titled When the Vows Break. Now, in this book, at the time, Niskern was a, was a Christian real estate attorney who thought that, that he was in a fairy tale marriage, a, a perfect marriage, until one day his wife came to him and said, Warren, I'm not happy anymore. I, 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 I'm in love with someone else and, and, and I want an immediate divorce. You drop the papers and I'll sign them. And, and, and in the book, Niskern talks about how, how devastated he was when the love of his life discarded him like he was yesterday's trash. He portrays the pain that he, that he, that he, that he felt day in and day out, having uh, every night he would sink into bed having been exhausted from the, from the agony and, and the grief and the, and, and the tears, he, he, he would climb into bed every night only to toss and turn because he couldn't shut his mind off. He talked about the pain of, of having his friends withdraw from him as if he was a wounded animal they didn't know how to comfort. And he talked about the pain of writing letter after letter after letter to his wife, pleading with her and begging her uh, to, to, to come back to him. Letter after letter expressing his hurt and his pain and his anger only to tear those letters up and never to give them to her. And he talked about the pain of doing everything he could to try to make the marriage work, to save the marriage. He tried everything. He tried separation, uh, pastoral counseling, even professional counseling. He tried every option available, but to no avail because she left him anyway for another man. And in the end, he says, your greatest source of comfort and strength will be in Jesus Christ himself. Then finally, at the end of the book, he talks about how God actually brought him to a place where he was able to forgive her even though they could never reconcile the marriage. Even though the marriage was never restored, she permanently left him for someone else, he was able to forgive her. Niskern writes and says, maybe your marriage is finished, but God isn't. You see, this is the place where David was. He was in this place. He's been hurt. He's been betrayed. He's, he's been falsely accused. He's been hunted down. And yet he's in this place where he gives them to God rather than take them into his own hands. But now as we pick it up in verse 13, verses 13 through 20 show us how to deal with a smear campaign. How to deal with a smear campaign. Verse 13. 
Then David went over to the other side and stood afar off the top of the hill with a great distance between them. And David called to the army and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Will you not answer, Abner? And Abner answered and said, Who are you who calls to the king? And David said to Abner, Are you not a man who is like you in all of Israel? Why then have you not kept watch over your lord, the king? For one of the people came in to destroy the king, your lord, and the thing that you've done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you've not kept watch over your Lord, the Lord's anointed. And, and now see where the king's spear is and, and, and the jar of water that was at his head. And Saul recognized David's voice. And he said, is this your voice, uh, my son, David? And David answered and said, it is my voice, my voice, my Lord, my king. And he said, why does my Lord pursue after his servant? For what have I done? And what is the evil in my hands? Now, therefore, my lord, the king, hear the words of his servant. If it is the Lord who has stirred up uh, you against me, then may he, he accept an offering. But if it is men, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day that I should be uh, that I should have no snare. I'm sorry, no share in the heritage of the Lord, saying, "Go and serve other gods." Now, therefore, let not my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord, for the king of Israel has come out to seek a single flea, like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. So now again, we can picture this scene in our mind's eye. And what we picture is, is, is that there's two hills with a valley in between, and on one hill is, is Saul and all of his men, and then on the other hill are David and his men. And so David calls out, but what's interesting is that David does not call out to Saul. Rather, David calls out to Abner. Now, Abner, by the way, was the general of Saul's army, which, by the way, used to be David's job. So this is the man who stole David's job. And so David calls out to Abner. And, and, and it was Abner's job, of course, to protect the king. And so he calls out and, and kind of embarrasses him. He's kind of like, you know what? You kind of suck at your job. <laughs> He's like, you know, you had one job, and that was to keep the king alive. And, and, and I snuck in there, I grabbed a spear, I could have killed him, and you were sleeping on the job. But now, why does he call out to Abner? Well, I think this also has something to do with something that happened back in chapter 24. Remember, back in chapter 24, David has the opportunity to kill Saul. He doesn't take the opportunity. He shows mercy to Saul. And then he calls out to the king. And in chapter 24, verse 9, it says, And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, indeed, David seeks your harm? And now David sort of rehashes that same thing here. He's like, hey, listen, if God's the one who stirred you up against me, that's one thing. But if men have stirred you up against me, well, now that's something else. Now, in the whole context of that, he calls out Abner. Why? Well, because perhaps Abner was the one who was actually spreading all this stuff. Perhaps Abner was the one stirring up all this stuff. He was the source of the smear campaign. So how does David deal with this, with this smear campaign? He deals with it directly and publicly. Notice, he doesn't go around to, to every little person who, who might have heard some of the slanderous things that Abner was saying. He, he doesn't try to put out a fire here and put out a fire there. Rather, he went right to the source, right to Abner himself, the one who was spreading it. But when he confronts Abner, notice, he confronts him publicly in front of all of the people that Abner's been talking to, that Abner's been spreading these rumors to. You know, we've got people like this in our lives, don't we? We all have people in our lives who, who like to spread strife, stir up stuff. 
Years back, there was a book by author Mar Marshall Shelley uh, titled Well-Intentioned Dragons. You know, people who mean well, their intentions are good, but they're, 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 they're harmful. They're damaging. They're causing harm. They're, they're dragons, even though they mean well. So in this book, uh, uh, Marshall Shelley has, has a, a few fictional characters. He gives them kind of nicknames. And one of the nicknames he gives a character is the Sniper. Now, the sniper is identified as the one who avoids face-to-face -face conflict but picks off people with little pot shots in, 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 in private conversations, and they're always the ones that come up to you and say, you know, be sure to pray for so-and-so. You know, he, he's got some real problems, you know. And so they're the ones that, 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 that disguise gossip and slander as a prayer request. Then in his book, he has another character he calls the Merchant of Muck. Now, the merchant of muck is the one who breeds dissatisfaction by, by attracting others that he knows would be more than interested, more than willing to listen to what he's got to say. And so in many ways, it's as if Abner was like a combination of, of both the merchant of muck and the sniper. He's picking people off, and he's spreading this, and he's spreading that, and David calls him out, and he calls him out publicly. Now with that, as we pick it up in verse 21, down to the end of the chapter, we see that David finds himself in this position where once again, he has to forgive his enemy, reminding us and causing us to ask the question, how often must I forgive? And so in verse 21, then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will do you no more harm because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I, I, I've acted foolishly, and I've made a great mistake. And David answered and said, Here the, here, here, Here's your spear, O king. Let, let one of the young men come over and take it. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me out of all tribulation." Then Saul said to David, Blessed be you, my son David. You will do many things, and you will succeed in them. So David went his way, and Saul returned to his place. So as this comes to a close, we see that, that they each go their own separate ways. David goes home, and Saul goes home. They each go their own separate ways. They each live to fight another day. You know, it's been said that, that friends come and go, but enemies are forever. <laughs> And that's the relationship with Saul and David, that they live on to fight another day. Now, by the way, the way that this chapter, chapter 26, closes is almost identical to the way that chapter 24 had closed. Remember, in chapter 24, we saw that, again, David has the opportunity to, to get even, to get some revenge, to kill Saul. And yet instead of kill, killing Saul, he forgives Saul. He shows him mercy. And then that chapter closes with them each going their own separate ways. The chapter says that, that Saul went back home and David and his men went back to their hideout. And now in the same way, chapter 26 closes by saying they each went their own separate ways. Now listen, none of us would have been, would have been surprised if, if David would have added something and would have said something like, hey, listen, this is the second time I've forgiven you. This is the second time I've let you walk away. Don't let there be a third. You know, some kind of veiled threat, some kind of veiled promise that, you know, next time it's not going to be that well, so this is it. You've drawn the line. This is as far as this is going to go. That wouldn't have surprised us, but instead, 
David simply forgives him, lets him walk away. And as we read how how David forgave Saul over and over, it kind of makes us ask the question, how often, how many times must I forgive the same person? In fact, if you remember, that's, that's, that's exactly the same question that Peter had one time asked Jesus. On one occasion in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, it says, Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often shall, should, I, should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Now let me give you the background behind the question. You see, in that day, the rabbis of Jesus' day were teaching that if you could forgive the same person three times, you were a perfect man. If you could actually forgive someone three times, you you were absolutely perfect. And so Peter's like, well, you know what? I'm going to take it to the next level. The rabbis say three. He's like, hey, Jesus, you know, how many times should I forgive the same person? Seven times? He's probably expecting Jesus to, 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 you know, to, to turn and say something like, wow, Peter, I mean, that is amazing. Peter, I tell you the truth, I have not seen such great faith in all of Israel. I mean, the rabbis say three times, but Peter, you're saying seven times? Oh, Peter, I am so proud of you. But that's not what Jesus said. In fact, Jesus responds and he says, well, now that you bring it up, Peter, I was actually thinking something like 70 times seven. Now, Peter, the uneducated fisherman, is like, hold on, Lord, i got to do the math. He's like, carry the one. Lord, that's like 490 times. Are you kidding me? That's like impossible. I like Rick Warren's comment on this. Rick Warren, when he commented on, on the fact that Jesus said 70 times 7, when he said 490 times, Rick Warren comments and says, the principle is that, is that you, ha- you just have to keep on forgiving. Every time you remember how they hurt you, that's an opportunity to make an intentional choice to forgive them again. And so the principle is, is that there is no limit to forgiveness. Forgiveness is unlimited. It's like the fries at Red Robin. Well, that is if you ever see your waitress again. But... It's been said that, that, that forgiveness is a lifetime sentence. Forgiveness is a lifetime sentence. And then Jesus in Matthew chapter 18 goes on to illustrate to Peter what, 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 what a believer, uh, uh, someone who believes in God, someone who's been forgiven by God, but yet they don't want to forgive others. They're slow to forgive others. He, he, he illustrates what that looks like in this parable in Matthew 18. And it's a parable about, a, about a, a man who owed the king literally millions of dollars. But then he goes and he begs and he pleads with the king. And so the king has mercy on him and the king forgives all of his debt. But then that very same guy then goes and finds someone else who owed him like, like a few thousand dollars. And he has that guy beaten and thrown into prison uh, because of this outstanding debt. Now, when the king hears about this, The king's outraged. He hears about this guy who who did not extend the the same forgiveness that had been shown to him. He did not extend that to someone else. So in Matthew chapter 18, verses 32 to 35, it says, Jesus says, Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. So now what's the point of a parable like this? Well, the point of this parable is not to say 
that we forgive in order to be forgiven. Rather, the point of this parable is to say that we forgive because we've been forgiven. We forgive because we've been forgiven. And so when we ask the question, how many times should I forgive? How many times should I forgive the same person? Answer, just as many times as he's forgiven you. And by the way, that number when Jesus said 70 times 7, 490, that wasn't meant to be like a cap, like an absolute limit, like a quota. It wasn't like, hey, you know, listen, this is the final straw. He wasn't saying, listen, you know, if, if, you, you need to forgive someone 490 times, but then that, the, if, if they sin against you the 491st time, well, then you know what? You know, release the kraken. You know, give them both barrels. Blast that sucker to smithereens. Give them what they've got coming. No, that's not what he was saying. Listen to this. Can I say to you that, that if you're actually keeping a record of all the wrongs that they've been doing, then you're doing it wrong. Let me say that again. If you're keeping a record of the wrongs that they've been doing, you're doing it wrong. How do I know that? I know that because 1 Corinthians 13.5 says, love keeps no record of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs. So if you're keeping a record of, 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 of wrongs, you're keeping a record of every, every time they've hurt you, every time they've lied to you, every time they've let you down, every time they've disappointed you, every time they've failed you, if you're like, you know what, that's number 489, that's number 490, okay, that's the 491st time, that's it. <laughs> I'm releasing the Kraken. You're getting both barrels, sucker. I only had to forgive you 490 times. You've drawn the line. And crossed it. Uh, no. If you're keeping a record of the wrongs that they're doing, you're doing it wrong. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Or as George Butrick put it, it's sinful to remember what God has chosen to forget. And so the point is simply this. The point is that we need to forgive them the same way he has forgiven us. How has he forgiven us? Completely. He's forgiven us completely. It says in Romans 8.1, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. He's completely forgiven you. And listen to this. Not only has he completely forgiven you, he's also re re erased the record. He's removed the record. There is no record. It says in Psalm 103, verse 12, it says, He has taken our sins as far away from us as the east is from the west. Likewise, Micah 7, 19, it says, You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Or as Corey Ten Boom had once put it, God casts all our sins into the depths of the ocean, gone forever, and then posts a sign out there that says, No fishing allowed. That's how God's forgiven us. He's completely forgiven us, and he's erased the record. But then the Bible says, as he's forgiven us, so you are to forgive one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that each time we've been sinned against, it's another time to be more like you. And we thank you that, 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 that you've empowered us, that your Holy Spirit dwells in us, that you yourself are in us, that the forgiver himself dwells in us. So if the one who's forgiven us again and again and again dwells in us, 
then Lord, we pray that you would empower us to forgive them as you've forgiven us. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Calvary Brighton Podcast. To find out more about our ministry in Brighton, Colorado, go to calvarychapelbrighton.com.